0: We thank you so much for the chance to be here this morning, God. We thank you for the time of praise and worship that we've enjoyed. And, God, that we've experienced you. And, Lord, as we take a few moments and we look into your word, God, open our minds and hearts. There's no question you've got things for us today, God, things that you want us to do, ways you want us to change, and ways you want us to respond to you. And I just pray... You'll give us the courage and the wisdom to do that even in this hour. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Justin and Ben, for a great job. Good morning, and it's good to see you today. What is the the most popular sport in America? It would be football. Football is the most, you may hate football, you may love it, I love it. But it is the uh, the most popular, kind of surpassed baseball probably two decades ago. as America's pastime or its favorite, favorite sport. What is the most popular sport in the world, though? Soccer. Soccer. You go to Europe, they call it football, don't they? But that ain't football. That's soccer. It's different. But that's, it's, it's soccer. Soccer is the most popular sport. Well, this morning, I want us to look at something that I think a lot of people probably consider sport. It's probably... Uh, America's favorite pastime, and not only in America, but probably in many, many places throughout the world, and that is the subject of judging other people. Would you agree that it's a favorite American pastime? Yes, it is, whether you agree or not. It is. We're going to be in Romans chapter 2 this morning. If you were with us last summer, we did a, uh, a sermon series ...on Sunday mornings from Romans chapter 1 and Romans 12... ...and this summer we're going to do uh, in Romans chapter 2 and Romans 13. Romans was written by God, through God, uh, by God through the Apostle Paul. Paul had never been to Rome at this time, but he longed to go there... ...and so he writes this wonderful letter. It's probably about A.D. 58, probably 20-so years uh, after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, twenty twenty-five years... And and Romans is probably the greatest, deepest theological book in the New Testament. I mean, there's things in Romans that's hard to wrap your head around. But it also has some tremendous practical things that, uh, that will get your attention. And this morning, we're talking about one that certainly will get our attention. Here's a big thought this morning. If you take nothing away, and I hope you'll take more away from the sermon than this, but if you can get this, this will be really important. Judging other people shows bad judgment. When you make a decision to judge other people, you are showing bad judgment. Now, before we dive into the sermon, let me, uh, let me kind of explain some things. People are very confused on what, it, what judging other people means. Some people say today if you criticize any kind of behavior or you have an opinion on any behavior that you're judging people. You're being intolerant. You're not being fair. Someone says 2 plus 2 equals 5 and you say, no, it equals 4. Oh, you're being mathematically a bully. They have a right to say that it's 5. Yes, they do. You have a right to be dumb. I mean, that is an American right, correct? Uh, it, it is. Being judgmental. I, I tell you this, this afternoon you go home. If you read Matthew... 7, chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, and then verse 20, it kind of brings it together. Because Matthew 7, 1 is a great passage that says, judge not, lest you be judged. We know that. But Matthew 7, 20 is very interesting. It says you will know a person by their fruits, by the way they live, by their behavior. It is not being judgmental. When you have a standard, our standard as Christians is the Bible, and you say certain behaviors are wrong. That's not being intolerant. That's not being judgmental. Uh, I I hope you parents would say that your child doing crack cocaine in in their bedroom at home, oh, we're tolerant. We're fair. We don't want to judge little junior. No, I hope you would say that's wrong and we're not going to tolerate that. Right, moms and dads? And you know what? That is not being judgmental. That's not being mean. That's being a good parent. Being judgmental and being mean is when you turn your heart and your finger toward that person in condemnation. Being judgmental is not saying something is right or something is wrong. Especially if you believe the Bible, there are certain standards that are clear there is a right and there's a wrong. Being judgmental. You've heard it said before, love the person, hate the behavior. And then there's great truth to that, that being judgmental is you hate both of them. You hate the behavior and you hate the person. It not only focuses on the wrong, it focuses on that they are wrong and that you are here to point out to them how bad and how wrong they are. That's, and that's wrong. Judging others is wrong. Now, I'm going to share with you from Romans 2 some things that God lays out to show us how judging other people is wrong. And why it is wrong, why it's bad judgment. Here's the first thing. You're a sinner too. Did I just tell you something you didn't know? Huh? This is a summer crowd, so you can talk to me a little bit. Did I just tell you something you didn't know? Hopefully not. In verse 1, it says, You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. You who pass judgment do the same things. Now, Paul, in this chapter, is doing what was called a diatribe. It was a rhetorical uh, way of communication, very popular in their time, where a speaker or a writer would talk as if he's. He's answering questions. He'll throw something out, and then the imaginary opponent responds, and then he answers or he refutes that. And the beginning of this diatribe, here's a great thing. Why should you not judge other people? Why should you not be condemning towards other people? Friend, you are a sinner too. Do you struggle with that? I hope you don't. I, I hope you don't. Because see, the great news is, so is everybody else. Doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that make you feel better? Romans three twenty three says this: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many of you would consider yourself part of that all? Uh, well, you are. And, and so am I. Now, here, see, here's what we do: we say things like this. Well, I'm no Adolf Hitler. Well, praise God. <laughs> I'm no Charles Manson. I'm no Saddam Hussein. That's true. And you're probably not a Mother Teresa or a Billy Graham either, are you? You see, we're all sinners. Why is one fundamental reason that you and I don't need to stick our noses up and our fingers in people's faces is because we all sin too, okay? Here's the second thing, and this is really interesting, why we shouldn't judge others is we often do the same things that we're judging other people about. In other words, that... We get in other people's business. We get in other people's grill. We have opinions and we talk about them and we criticize them and we judge them. <clears throat> but if the closet was opened in our life, the truth is we're guilty of the same things, aren't we? And it's what Paul says here. God says through Paul, going back again to uh, to, to verse one, he says this: "You therefore have no excuse." Here's what he's saying: Judging people, it's inexcusable. No matter what excuse or reason you want to, to, uh, to throw out there while you have justification, it is inexcusable. Now, he, and before I go on and leave that verse up there, Kyle, scholars say that in, in, in chapter 1, Paul was talking, God was talking to the non-Jewish people. And then all of a sudden in chapter 2, he takes a turn and he's pointing to the Jewish people who some of them, Jewish Christians, may have had a little bit of an uppity attitude at this time. That may be true, but the bottom line, he's talking to the reader. He's talking, about the, talking to the person who was hearing it 2,000 years ago, and he's talking about the person who's hearing it this morning too. So this all applies to us. He says, you are without excuse. You who pass judgment, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Now, what he's saying here, when he's talking about passing judgment and condemnation, he's talking about making separations and then you being the judge, jury, and the hangman and you sentencing that person. That when you and I, it's inexcusable when we decide to play judge, jury, and hangman and we decide to to point out to people where you are wrong and I have convicted you of being guilty and now I'm going to hang you. Verse 2 and 3, he continues this diatribe, and he says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? You know what he's saying here to them and to us? He's saying legally we are without defense. We judge other people, we're hard on other people, but legally we are out without defense because we are sinners too. And not only that, because oftentimes we, we're doing the same things that we're hard on other people about. Now here's an interesting thing. We're going to jump back to chapter 1 because it all goes together. And I want you to read verse, you don't have to read out loud, but verse 26 through 28 with me in chapter 1 It says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Now, he's talking about homosexuality here, which is 2,000 years ago very relevant and very relevant today. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with the women and were were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to do. Now, before we move in the next verses, I imagine I imagine 2,000 years ago when they were reading this in Rome that there were people going, uh-huh, that's right, Paul, you get them. You get them, those people out there that are, that are doing those the homosexuals and doing these shameful things. But you get them. You got, that's right. Amen. Amen, brother. It, you know, if you're not guilty of the sin, isn't it easy to be hard-nosed about it? It, it, it is. It, it, it is. Now, here's where it gets a little touchy. After he says those things, let's see what he says in the rest, rest of the chapter. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed. Hmm. Anybody in here guilty of greed? depravity, full of envy. Hold it just a second. You jealous? Envious? Murder? Oh, no, not me. Strive? Uh Yes, you struggle with that. We all do. Deceit? Well, I only tell the white lies. That's a, that's a liar. Malice? Gossips? Well, wait a second. I thought he was just talking about Homosexuals, he throws gossips in there. He's really starting to meddle at this point, correct? Slanderers, ooh. God-haters, insolent, arrogant. You know anybody that's arrogant? Don't point, but you do. Boastful, yes. They invent ways of doing evil. They are disobedient to their parents. That wouldn't apply here any, would it? Good. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do those very things but approve of those who practice them. You see what, what happened? And God, God's got to have a great, great sense of humor because he had these church people saying, amen, preach it, preach it, because he was talking about things that these people outside were doing and. And and it was easy to say, yeah, man, that's wrong, that's bad. And then all of a sudden, he goes, and what about you gossipers? What about you prideful people? What about you people who struggle with envy or who are greedy? Basically, he threw the ball back right at him and said, look, you're judging people, and you're guilty of a lot of the same things that they're doing. Why should you and I not judge people? One reason is, is we're guilty of a lot of the same things they're doing. Back in the 80s, now some of you with gray hair or no hair will remember this better. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to slam any, any ministers or ministers. This was national. I mean, this was all over the news. This wasn't something private in my office. But Jim Baker and Tammy Fay Baker were head of the PTL club. Any of y'all remember that? And it, it went poof. I mean, it blew up. It was a big television ministry. They had an air conditioned doghouse. I mean, it was absolutely you know some cool stuff. I was I was a little poor preacher, thinking you know someday I want an air conditioned doghouse when I grow up to be a real preacher. And but it went bad. And 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 Jim Baker had an affair. It, financially, it went so bad he ended up going to, to prison. And and I hope and think maybe he's turned around and doing okay now. But I remember one night, it was 1987 or 1988, in my little church in East Texas, Sunday night, right before church, a lady came in. She said, I was just listening to Jimmy Swaggart on TV. And man, he was drilling Jim Baker. I mean, he was just just kicking him and kicking him and kicking him. And I said to her, I said, man, that is so wrong. And he better watch out. He better watch his step. And it wasn't... A short time after that, that he fell or was exposed to being involved in the, some of the same things that he was condemning Jim Baker for. Guys, I don't know if it's part of the laws of God, if it's some psychological workings. But a lot of times, we condemn and judge people because we're trying to hide the junk in our life. If I can make you look bad enough, people won't look at me. If I can push you down far enough, maybe it'll push me up. It really doesn't work that way, but that's how our minds work. And, and I, again, I don't know if this is part of the law of God or if this is just the law of nature or gravity or whatever. Sometimes when you jump on people and you condemn them real hard, if you're not careful, you're going to fall right in the same jump too. Okay, why should you and I not judge people? You're a sinner. So am I. We're often guilty of judging people for the same things that we're doing ourselves. Here's a third reason. We're not qualified to. We're not qualified to. We don't have the ability to judge other people Accurately. Now some of you are going to struggle with this because you may think you have some kind of supernatural ability. But look at this. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. God judges you and me based on truth. And that word truth means the unveiled reality. In other words, God can look at you and me and he sees our heart. God looks at you and me and all the junk is pushed away. All the, the veneer, the cologne, the perfume, all that's gone. God sees the truth. But look in verse 3. So when you a mere men, do you see the contradiction? He's God who sees it all. We are mere men, mere women, mere humans, pass judgment on someone... Yet you do the same things. You think that you're going to escape the judgment. Guys, no matter who you are today, I want to tell you, you and I do not know the hearts of other people. Okay? Now, your husband or wife, somebody you're very, very close to, yeah, I mean, you can say, I believe I know their heart. I believe I know where they're coming from. But... Unless you've spent hours and hours and hours really talking to somebody and really, really diving into their life issues, you don't know their heart. You don't know their heart. And you don't know all the facts on the situation. I'm telling you today that that in this room that many of us probably are mad or we're irritated or we're frustrated at some other person, and we don't know half the facts, Somebody told us something, and instead of going to that person and clarifying it and asking them and taking the time to work through it, we've got half the story, maybe a distorted story, maybe not even a true story, and we've taken that and we've developed a judgment about somebody that's not fair, that's not true. We never know all the facts. All the time, we don't know enough of the facts to judge people. I want to read to you uh, an article. This was years ago in Ann Lander's daily newspaper column. Uh, A grocery store clerk wrote in to complain about people on food stamps who were coming to the grocery store and buying expensive items. And specifically, she wrote in, you know, I've seen these people come in with food stamps, and they buy birthday cakes, and they buy shrimp, and I think they're lazy, and I think they're just misusing the money. A few weeks later, the two people in particular that she nailed in this column responded. And it was interesting. One lady said, I did not buy a cake, but I did buy a big bag of shrimp with food stamps. My husband had been working at a plant for 15 years when it shut down. The shrimp casserole I made was for our wedding anniversary dinner, and it lasted three days. Perhaps the grocery clerk who criticized me would have a different view of life after walking in my shoes for a few miles. Now, here's even a better story, or a worse story. I'm the woman who bought the $17 cake and paid for it with food stamps. I thought the checkout woman in the store would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know is the cake was for my little girl's birthday. It will be her last. She has bone cancer, and they don't think that she will live but just a few more months. That kind of changes it a little bit, doesn't it? See, here's the problem with judging people. You don't know all the facts. I don't know all the facts. And please don't say, well, you know, preacher, that's true for them, but not for me. (laughs) No, it's true for you. I don't care if you have a Ph.D. in psychology, Ph.D. in sociology. You're a medical doctor, and you're a licensed psychiatrist. You don't know other people's hearts, and you rarely, rarely, rarely know all the facts. We're not qualified to. Here's a fourth reason, he says, not to judge. Deal with your own sins and your own issues. Now, that's no fun, is it? How many of you agree it's easier talking about someone else's sins and issues than dealing with your own? Wouldn't you agree? It's much more enjoyable. It's easier. You know, the heart of Matthew 7, about judge not, get the plank out of your eye. Uh, get the plank out of their eye when you got a log in your own, is dealing with the heart of this, that the thing that you and I need to be most concerned about is the stuff in our own life. In verse 3, So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Mm. Here's what some Bible scholars believe. They believed that there there were some of the Jewish people in this day and age that believed they were not going to be judged by God. They were Jewish people. They were the children of Israel. They were the children of Moses, children of Abraham. They had the law. They had the temple. They had the prophets. And therefore, God was judging non-Jewish people by a higher and different standard than he was judging them. Some of them even believed because they were Jewish people, they were Hebrews, that someday when they stood before God, no matter what they did here on this earth, that they were going to get into heaven and other people were going to be judged differently. Here's what God said to them. No, 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 no. Jews, non-Jews, Baptists, Methodists, no matter who you are, I'm holding you accountable for your life and your sins. now, most of you know this, but that there's only one person you can really control, and it 's your wife, right man? No <laughs> it's your husband. some of you think so, but but it isn't true it 's not even your kids I mean you you can you set boundaries, you set. Goals you set parameters there 's one person you 've got full control over, and that 's you there's one person who ultimately you 're going to answer for someday when you stand before God, and that 's you yes you 'll answer for your influence, but you 're ultimately answering for you when, when I was growing up, one of the old sayings they would say is they would say, Tend to your own knitting. you ever heard that saying, Tend to your own knitting' Take care of your own backyard. Take care of your own garden. You know what they were saying? Mind your business. Deal with your own sins and your own issues. It's so much more enjoyable and easy to be condemning and judgmental and to point out the faults in everyone else's life. But God says the one that you have control of and you need to straighten up and you need to clean up is yourself. Why shouldn't we judge people? Because primarily what we need to do is tend to our own knitting and deal with our own stuff. And here's the last thing. And boy, this is so important too. Righteousness with kindness is what leads to life change. Okay, you, you say, well, you know, I'm concerned about that person's behavior. That's great. Pray for him. Talk to them about it. You are not going to help anybody probably cross over the line to Jesus Christ or come back to Christ by pointing at him and saying, you're a sorry scumbag. I can't believe you're doing what you're doing. You know what? That doesn't have a lot of appeal to most people, does it? And it's neat what God says in this scripture here in verse 4. In verse 4, he says, or do you show contempt for the riches of God? Now, this, there's some tough stuff in here, but some good stuff. The riches, the wealth, Of God's kindness, of His goodness, of His tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance. And what this is saying is that God is overflowing with a wealth of kindness and goodness. How many of you believe if God wasn't kind and patient that He would have already zapped you? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise it for you. He would have. And what this is saying is, is is that it's because of God's goodness and kindness, not even His holiness, not even His just, but His kindness that makes salvation available to us. And then in verse 4, he says, do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness? In other words, when we judge other people after God is so good to us, it's like we're spitting On the kindness and the long-suffering of God. How many of you think today that that husband, that wife, that daughter, that son, that parent, that friend, that they're going to come to Christ or come back to Christ by you telling them how rotten they are? I want to tell you, it's not going to happen. It's just not. Now, it's not going to happen... By you saying, oh, anything you want to do is okay. And we're for you. Again, I'll buy you the crack cocaine. You're eight years old. Well, I'll buy the beer because I wouldn't want you drinking outside of the house. Righteousness means the right way. and the, You've got to have the standards. You've got to have a rightness about you. That has to be there. But if it's minus the kindness and the tenderness, it's not going to work. In, in a book that came out several years ago, the title of it is UnChristian. And in this book, they did a massive survey. And they asked people in America, how would you describe Christians? These are people who profess not to be Christians. Almost 90%, almost 90% when they described, many of us here who are Christians, one word they used is that we're judgmental. Judgmental. Now, some of that is unfair. Some of that is because we have standards. Some of it's probably right on target. How are you going to win that family member or friend? By having a righteousness about your life, but also a loving kindness about your life. You're not going to do it by judging them. I want to share with you a poem. Wayne sent this to me a few years ago, and the title of it is Best poem in the world. Obviously, the author was very humble, weren't they? I don't know who wrote this, but listen to this. I was shocked, confused, and bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of it all, nor the lights or even its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How did all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, Jesus said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you. For a thousand reasons, and we've looked at five, judging others shows bad judgment. Let's take care of our own stuff. Let's pray. If you're a Christian today, I would challenge you to figure out what it is God's telling you even right now that you need to do. Whatever adjustment you need to make in your life and be willing to do it. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, I want to invite you right where you're seated to pray with me and to give your life to Christ. Just pray and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're the Son of God who died and who arose for me. Now, Jesus, come into my heart. And this morning, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. In just a minute, we're going to have you stand and and we're going to be singing. But but more importantly than that, I want to challenge you to respond to what God said to you this morning. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Will you come? There will be ministers in the front wanting to help you with this decision. Step out and let us help you today. Maybe you'd like to join the church this morning. One way you can do that, and when we stand in a moment, is come and talk to one of these ministers. We'll help you do that today. Christian... Maybe it'll be where you're standing or maybe at the altar. You want to come and pray with a minister or or just pray yourself. All of us here need to say to God, God, forgive me for where I've been judgmental. Forgive me for how I haven't treated people right. And God, help me from this day on to live with a righteous standard but a loving standard.